Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Living a Life Worth Remembering. Uh, this is the show that we dedicated to talking about how we can live a life that continues to live on after our own lifetime has ended. It's all about leaving a legacy. It's about making a mark and making a difference. And uh, my guest today, I'm so excited to have him uh, as part of this broadcast. I, I wanted to talk with him for some time now because uh, I not only love him personally and uh, and all that God is doing through his life, because he's definitely leaving a legacy and he's affecting legacies, but I love the testimony of what God has done uh, through uh, his ministry and through his church and what he's continuing to do. Uh, our guest today is Pastor Todd Smith, Pastor Todd and his wife, Karen. They serve as the senior pastors at Christ Fellowship Church. This is in Dawsonville, Georgia. And uh, along with serving in pastoring roles for over uh, 35 years, they have been hosting an outpouring of revival. And we're going to talk about this, of revival fire, what they call the North Georgia Revival that began February 11th, 2018. So for five years, God has continued to move in power. And uh, Todd and Karen, Karen currently travel all over the nation and the world, spreading this revival fire wherever they minister. And so, Pastor Todd, it's so exciting to have you with me today. I'm glad to be here, Donald. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And, you know, I love, I want to begin by talking about the North Georgia revival. Uh, that uh, it was the first thing that really impacted me when I met you. And let me just share with people, and I want you to share more about it, because, you know, there are people that still have not heard about this. They're still not aware of what God has done. And it's absolutely amazing. So let me just read a little bit here. Since 2008, the North Georgia revival has seen thousands of critical illnesses healed, blind eyes open, deaf ears that can now hear, families reunited, the lost come back home, and those with mental illnesses made whole. The revival's not exclusive to any one church, even though it may have had its beginning uh, in his home church. It actually has been transferable, and it's been in all kinds of churches. In fact, it's been in my personal church and not only touched my life, but it's touched my children's life and my grandchildren's life. They've seen the smallest of churches get ignited with a revival fire. You know, their buildings, their garages, and places where they gather quickly fill up. Crowds of people traveling from miles hungry for an authentic encounter with the Lord in the water. And so it's so amazing. And so, Pastor Todd, I would love for you to just share uh, your own uh, story of how this began and kind of where it's gone since it first began. Thank you. Uh, you know, it started in 2017, actually, not the revival, but I, I believe my pursuit of just, God, we want more of you. We're tired, frustrated with the level of, of uh, the encounters that we were having with the Lord. Um, we had great church, the church I was pastoring, Christ Fellowship, wonderful worship, incredible people. It was a really good church, but in my spirit, in my heart, I knew there had to be more than what we were encountering. And I just simply asked the Lord, I said, God, what's the problem? And I just started reading the scriptures in December of 2017, uh, a passage out of Psalm, Psalm 27, 8, where God said to David, David, I need you to seek my face again. 
And it was a reminder to David that he had, like I did, uh, he lost the face of God. And that's where I was in 2017. I mean, I was acquainted with the promises of God, the blessings of God, but more importantly, the hand of God. But I had lost the pursuit of the face of God. So that's when it really started was in 2017. And that's when I called our church to a 21 day fast. And we said, we're not going to do anything other than we're going to seek the face of God. We're going to come and we're going to say, God, we want to behold your glory. And anything in us that offends you, grieves you, um, hurts your heart, would you reveal it to us so that we could repent of it and turn from it? And now, you know, there, there's really no formula to revival. There's not. But there is a pathway that mm. the Bible, uh, you know, lays out for us. It's talking about humility, uh, brokenness, contrition, um, you know, praying, seeking the face of God, turning from sin. And, and God says, if, if my people will do that, he says, I'm going to hear them. I'm going to come and respond and I'm going to forgive their sin and heal their land. And revival is is a healing. It's a healing of not only um, of, of the inner hurts and the inner sin and the things that are going on in our life. There's a healing, but it's also sometimes manifest physically. And that's what we've seen at the North Georgia Revival for the last five years. Since 2018, That the glory of the Lord fell into our building. And I'm telling you, it's just been remarkable, um, extraordinary what we have seen as a people um, because we humbled ourselves and we saw his face. Wow. I love uh, when you shared the story when you were in, in our church and you talked about looking up and seeing the baptismal tank. Mm -hmm. uh, share that because that that so inspired me because I it's almost like, you know, I'd never met you before uh, you were with us in Apopka, but I could hear your heart. And it's almost like I could see you uh, on your face in front. I mean, just seeking God. But then he brings you up and sees that tank. Share that, uh, if you would, Pastor. Yeah, it was in the middle of the fast that we had called, that 21-day fast. Uh, I believe it was around day 14 or 15. I'm walking across our platform uh, in prayer. I'm there by myself. I was just in the darkness, just praying. And, you know, as, as I was just walking back and forth from side to side, you know, just basically... Uh, not just kind of like fulfilling time. You know, I'm praying, seeking God, but I'm walking as I'm doing that. I'm just not kneeling. And and I see my baptistry, which um, was bone dry. There wasn't a drop of water in it whatsoever. Why? Because we only immersed around three times a year for our new converts. But on this particular day, I'm walking and I'm looking at our baptistry and I see it full of water an eight to 10 second vision. That's all it was. I see it full of water and a strip of fire on top of the water. And that strip was two and a half to three feet wide and from front to back. And at the conclusion of the vision, I hear the Lord speak to my heart. He said, Todd, I'm going to baptize people with Holy Spirit fire. Now I had in, in, in full transparency, I had no idea what that meant other than I assumed my new converts, you know, my new believing converts were going to have an incredible encounter with Jesus in the water, because that's what we assumed that baptism was for, just for our new converts, a symbolic showing to the world that, hey, I'm now a follower of Christ, and had no idea that I would be in this interview five plus years later, 
and have baptized 32,000 people in our own baptismal pools in five years and seen countless, if not thousands of miracles that have taken place as a result of meeting Jesus in the water. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine, uh, you know, my, my upbringing uh, was good old Southern Baptist. And, you know, if you didn't have the tank, you went to the creek and, uh, and it was all, uh, you know, you get baptized once. But I love what you shared one time. Uh, I think it was your second trip down and uh, where if you go back and you look at what they did in ancient Israel, that baptisms would take place on a, almost a regular basis. It wasn't just a one time baptism. Yeah, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, Todd, what's your biblical uh, construct? How do you justify multiple baptisms? And and I get the question because I was raised Southern Baptist too. We understand baptism to be that new birth uh, expression, if you will, that we're identifying with the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's mainly, you know, a, a demonstration, a, a public display of, hey, I'm now a believer. But as I began to, to research baptisms, baptisms were are not unique to just the Christian expression. The, you know, our our predecessors, our Jewish family, friends, you know, they they understood baptism in the in and they would call it the mikvah. Okay. It's a place where they wash and cleanse themselves for multiple reasons and multiple times throughout the month. And it, it is a beautiful expression that this is a place to encounter God. And I had a gentleman tell me the other day, he said, you'll never be more Jewish than when you baptize because that mikvah. And when I traveled to Israel, there are over 50 baptismal pools right outside the city gates, right outside the temple wall, if you will, around the um, around the temple. It's called the mikvah trail. And they're uh, they're excavating them literally all the time. Why? Because Jews would self immerse. And every time I talk to a Jew about the revival that's happening in Dawsonville, about the immersion revival, not one of them have ever had a problem with it. Here's what they say. They go, oh, the mikvah. Oh, you're talking about immersion. You're talking oh, wow. about washing and cleansing. Exactly. And in this case, this is when the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm going to baptize people with Holy Spirit fire, that they were going to get into this water and they were going to have an intimate but yet powerful and extreme encounter with Jesus that would forever change their lives, their perspective, uh, you know, their future, their purpose. Uh, healings would take place. Deliverances would take place. And people just receive hope again. And yeah, it, it is a beautiful expression. I, and again, pastors have a problem with it. And the reason is because we see it as symbolic and that it's a one-time event. But it's more than a one-time event. I mean, we go to the altar more than once, right? Yeah. We come to we come to the altar to get prayer multiple times. The baptisms that we are having are not a, a result of the first one didn't work, okay? Or it wasn't, you know, it, it was insufficient. No, that new birth baptism expression never be replaced. That's always incredible. But yet we can go back to the baptismal pool to renew our vows for a an encounter with the Lord. OK, so there's nothing biblically wrong with it. In fact, it's extremely biblical. People believe that John the Baptist was an Essene. OK, now, if you were an Essene, 
they they self-immerse three times a day. They baptize themselves three times a day. So again, it's nothing new to Jesus. It's nothing new to our Jewish friends. Yeah, I I think that's powerful. And I I'm I'm like so many others that I've talked with that, you know, they were baptized uh, upon their confession of faith when they were 12 or 14. I think I was 13. But ma'am, I, I had a whole new experience with the Lord when I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 19. And I just asked the pastor, I said, hey, can I be baptized again? I know I don't have to be. But I remember that baptism and the significance of coming up out of the water and experiencing experiencing God in a whole new way. So I know just from my own experience, it's true. But where I know the experience is true is, you know, obviously everybody, you guys that are listening, Pastor Todd, he's just, the thing I love about this is God told him to do something and he obeyed. And because he obeyed, the church began to experience incredible uh, manifestations of the presence of God. Well, uh, my church, uh, we became involved. Uh, I don't know all the how the history of it, but basically we, we invited Pastor Todd to come down. We wanted to experience it too. And, you know, he was kind enough to come down and kind of just share some testimonies, but kind of put us in charge. You guys, here's what you need to do. And uh, you just kind of stood there and encouraged us. But I remember looking at you and the thing I loved about it was you kept looking at people in the water and shaking your head like you just couldn't get tired of seeing this. And so here I was at our church and just people hungry saying, you know what, I just want more of God and I'm not going to question it. I'm just getting in. And I would see people that were absolutely not your typical Pentecostal emotional person. And all of a sudden you see something happening in their life, in their heart. And it was different for every person. Uh, I know I had an abscessed tooth that was healed uh, through that baptism because my wife, she didn't want me to spend no money on the dentist. That's what it was, Pastor. <laughs> She's like, get in the tank and save us a grand, you know? But you know what? I was healed. My son, I shared it with you the other day. He ran around the parking lot. We're we're not people that get out there and make a big deal of this stuff. We believe in healing. But but you just, you know, the, the mysteries of God and, you know, and seeing him at work, you know, I, I just know there's had been times and you, I think you shared this a minute ago. You said, hey, five years ago, I would have never guessed this mm -hmm. where you just look and go, how did I end up here? You know, what are some of the I, I know, you know, we're limited on time and uh, there's so many. But what's one or two of your favorite uh, testimonies of lives being changed of people that have been baptized either in Dawsonville or in another church? Well, it has to do with probably uh, two maybe three uh, areas of, of, of a person's um, body. Okay, one, cancer. We have seen people that have had death sentences, you know, weeks or months or maybe a couple years to live. You know, they were diagnosed with a, a lump in the breast or pancreatic cancer or liver cancer or liver failure. Whenever that happens, it, 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 it's strong. It is like, oh my goodness, because there's no remedy, okay? And chemo didn't work for them. Radiation didn't work for them. The pills didn't work for them. And then yet they meet Jesus in the water and have that encounter. And they come back and they say the scans are clean. Now we're always very quick to acknowledge the medical contribution 
because it's valuable. What doctors and nurses are doing, they're working for God. They're on God's side. Now, they may be atheist unbelievers, but yet they want you to be well. All right. So if there is a combination, we we love to acknowledge that because we want people to go into the medical field and, and feel like, hey, God's using me, whether it's appeal, whether it's radiation. But then we also love to talk about when the doctors say, we don't know what happened to you. This is unusual. This is uncanny. You know, you are dying, death sentence, and now you're coming back. We can't find cancer in your body. So I love that. So we've seen that a lot of times people getting healed from the cancers Two is the deafness or the uh, blindness uh, which people know them. Hey, she can't see more than two to three inches in front of her face or this young lady is deaf. There's no way medically possible hearing aid mechanically that they're ever going to hear again. And then yet God meets them when that happens. Oh my, it's just like the kingdom of God, the finger of God has touched them. And we can do nothing but give him glory. So that those miracles, we've seen many, many of those. Uh, but probably the most recent ones that I'm so excited about, and it, autism and dyslexia are being touched in the water. Now, this didn't happen in the beginning, okay? This didn't happen in the beginning. We We must understand when Jesus said that Certain types of demons only come out through fasting and prayer. You can say all the right incantations. You can use all the magic, you know, quote phrases that, you know, Christians use and, you know, take, you know, particular positions of authority, which is great and wonderful. But these guys had walked with Jesus for a period of time and they had cast devils out before. But yet this young boy came and they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus said this only kind, this kind, this lineage. This lineage only comes out through fasting and prayer. So now what we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a different type of healing in the cases of autism and dyslexia. We are seeing that. Wow. I just met a guy the other day, just two days ago. He said, I brought my daughter to your uh, church and she got baptized and she had autism. She, you could never let her be by herself. She would run off. She would just, you know, just go everywhere. She was wild, crazy. And she and he said, as soon as she got into that water, she said, I felt like the Lord just healed me and came off all of her medication, all of it. She's not taking a pill, uh, any medication for now over a year. And watch this. And now is on the high school football team. A girl. I thought that was, you know, like kind of unusual in and of itself. And I'm talking to the dad. I said, you for real? Goes, yeah. And she's doing great. You know, I'm, I'm sure she's you know, <laughs> they're trying to protect her the best they can, but just for her to be on a team, yeah. having discipline enough to be able under rules and regulations of what to do and what not to do from going from autistic to literally now under that, that system, hearing of dyslexia, you know, dyslexia can never be cured. Now there's medication and care and, and doctor's oversight, but you know, you read backwards or it's just discombobulated a, lay, a young girl gets into the waters at one of our leaders conference and she's never read a book before. Okay. They just keep passing her. She can't comprehend anything. Her mother said her life was a mess, completely disorganized, gets baptized. And the very first book that she reads is the book I wrote called creating a habitation for God's glory. She read it from cover to cover and was able to comprehend everything that she read and regurgitated it back to her mother. 
Wow. And then her, and then her mother says she's never been able to do that before. Then she said also, now watch this. It also affected her cleanliness. Her room was a nightmare. But now everything's organized and put in its place and extremely methodical. But this happened, you know, not because of someone powerful, dynamic, you know, ministry. It happened in water where they met him. They met him. And he said, I will baptize people with Holy Spirit and fire. Man. Man, I, I tell you, I'm I'm having flashbacks as we're talking and and kind of remembering that night. And you know, the thing I, that took me back was I felt like, you know, this is so pure. I mean, we there's no way to get in the way of it. We're just assisting people. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody said, "What did you do?" I'm just assisting people. You know, you might have a word for somebody, but you're just assisting people. And I think I think it was a to me it was a big picture of. One of the problems is, is religion gets in the way of what God wants to do many times. It's what we try to form. But, you know, with this, the Lord gave, gave you something, gave you a picture, said, fill the tank. And now you're just seeing people and they're being touched by God. And it could be anybody there. It doesn't matter if the pastor or an assistant is there. Those, those are amazing. And I, I, and I just encourage you, if you're watching this, uh, we're going to have some links at the end of this, but please go online and check out uh, Pastor Todd's uh, website. Uh, we'll have all that below, but uh, I want you to check this out and you should check out. They even have a way you can sign up and go there and be baptized or, you know, uh, there may be uh, something going on that they'll share information on. But you need to see what God is doing because this isn't about just one location. God is doing something around the world. And I know it's real. I experienced it myself. But uh, I want to talk about your newest book. I, I was so excited when this came out, Pastor. You know, I had a book that came out on the tail end of this. I think I sold more of your books than I sold of my books. <laughs> but uh, I, I love the book, Unless We Pray, The Hour Is Late, God Has a Plan, and This Is It. I love the title, and I love what the book says. I I shared, I, I read your book after I had submitted my book and uh, I told somebody, I, I, I told several people at the church, you got to get a copy of this and get a copy of mine. Mine is the amen to this. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought the book was just so well written, but I just thought it was so timely, right on point. Uh, why don't you just share a little bit overview of, you know, kind of what the book is about and why did you write it? Well, I, I wrote the book because the Lord revealed to me in a uh, demonstrative way that prayer is the most important ministry that the church has. Now, we elevate preaching, worship, disciple-making, winning the lost, youth ministry, children's ministry, homeless ministry, social ministries. All those are important and are necessary, by the way. But the Lord was just, as I would read the scripture and as I was experiencing the uh, effects of prayer as a, as a result of the North Georgia revival, because it began in prayer and is sustained with prayer. So God was teaching me some things about it. And I came to the conclusion that prayer is literally the oxygen on the fire of God. It, it We breathe, we when we pray, we're breathing we're breathing oxygen on the fire. And the more oxygen that fire has, the greater the fire, the more intense that it is. And so 
this has been my clarion call right now is to call pastors and churches to not only individual prayer, because we all pray, but calling the congregation to corporate prayer. Uh, it is, and I make no apology about it now, it is the most important thing that a church does, is pray. It has to be priority number one, even above the preaching, worship, teaching ministry, deliverance ministry. All of those things are important. We won't stop doing them. But when prayer is elevated in the corporate setting, then God does things in the midst of those other ministries that we've never seen happen before. Um we want, don't we, we want Acts chapter 2, power. Everybody does. We're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we shall receive power to be as witnesses and all these things. Exactly. But when God birthed the church in Acts chapter 2, we, we sometimes forget to read Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 precedes Acts chapter 2. And it says, and for 10 days they gathered together. Okay, not just the fellowship and to wait alone. They came and they prayed for 10 days, 10 corporate prayer meetings. And then in Acts 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit came, fell upon the people, and they all began to speak in other tongues. Peter gets up to preach. 3,000 people are converted. I mean, the, the church is birth and power is on demonstration. All right, now watch this. If we want Acts 2 power, we have to go to Acts 1 as our example. And I think that's where we've missed it as a church. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. But to sustain the move of the Holy Spirit, there has to be this Acts chapter 1 commitment. There are over 20 to 25, I believe 25 corporate prayer meetings mentioned in the book of Acts alone, where they gather together, not by themselves, but in twos and threes and in significant groups. And there were 10 of them that took place in Acts 1. For 10 days. Hmm. Acts yeah. 3. Acts 3. Peter and John were on the way to prayer. Another corporate prayer meeting. They were on their way to a prayer meeting when they came across the guy at the gate beautiful. Acts chapter 4. When they were you know, released from incarceration or being questioned, the Bible says they went to their own and they were praying. Okay? A group prayer. They were praying and it says, and the place was shaken. Yeah. So this is my heartbeat right now to talk about the book unless we pray and to get pastors and churches praying corporately. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. And uh, like I said, my book is totally marked up, written and underlined. Um, you know, and as I had written uh, Praying for Rain, uh, I just kept, you know, thinking about these things and and you know, one of the things that kept coming to mind is, you know, uh, why do so many people struggle to pray? What do you think the reason is? Well, the devil hates it. And our, and our flesh loathes it. No one likes isolation. No one likes discipline. No one likes being by themselves. Okay. Oftentimes, you, you feel nothing. You hear nothing. You experience nothing. So our mind tells us, and the devil whispers to us, that we're wasting our time. And, you know, the devil resists it, okay, at every turn, because he knows that you're going to get power against him, right? And we have to make sure that we understand that even Paul said that prayer is 
loathsome. It is work, okay? It's hard. It's laborious. That's when he told the church at Rome, he says, strive with me in prayer, okay? He, he, he says, labor with me in prayer. That means there's sweat, there's, there's angst, there's agitation, there's agony involved in prayer. And our flesh runs from that. And I think too, Donald, because our churches have done a really good job on promoting the sovereignty of God and that God's in control. Turn the you know the, the the sovereignty of the Lord. I, you know, I have a whole talk about that where I don't think it is what we think it is, but we've heard it so long that God's in control of everything. So why do I even need to pray? Why do I need to sacrifice? Let me just mouth a few words while I'm you know taking my kids to school. Lord protect them, or Lord let me have a good day. Lord let us bless us financially, and yet we don't understand that that when we pray. And we pray fervently. Okay, the Bible says that the effective, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. In other words, it accomplishes much. So the opposite of that, if I'm not praying fervently, if I'm not being effectual in my prayer, I'm not accomplishing anything. The kingdom of God is at a standstill all the while that the kingdom of darkness is advancing. The reason we're in the condition we are as a nation right now, it's not because uh, all of a sudden darkness has went to the next level. No, it's because the church has pulled back on prayer. We, we've just kind of not prayed, and so darkness advances as darkness does. You see, darkness never stops advancing. It never stops advancing. Light can stop. You, you know, if you turn your light off in the room, the light stops. What, what fills the void? Darkness. Darkness. Yeah, darkness is in your room right now, but it's, been, it's, 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 it's being held back by light. Light has come. And the, and the direct opposite of light is what? Is darkness. If you do nothing, darkness comes. When God created the earth, what did he have to create? Let there be light. Darkness was there. Darkness is just the void, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's good. What 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 prayer does, it makes room for the light. Well, what did how did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, pray this way: Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So what, when we pray, now this is why it's so difficult. When we pray, we're pushing back darkness. We're expanding the kingdom. I, I don't wrestle with principalities and powers, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat. You know, a lot of people want to, we're going to go tackle this devil. We're going to tackle, no. Here's how I, I like to talk about spiritual warfare. I find the will of God and I begin to pray in English. Then I pray in tongues. And I release the will of God on the earth. I, by my words, by my prayer, calling on the Father, I release it. So when the will of God is done, it pushes back darkness. I do the spiritual warfare, not in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the devil, but literally releasing through prayer the kingdom of God on the earth. And I let him do the battling. That's good. I, let him, I let him do the pushing back. I'm just making room for him, right? Okay. Now, there are times that you have to... Uh, bind and loose. I understand that. But for the most part, I don't need to be tackling devils. I need to be praying that the kingdom of God comes.
Yeah, Does that make sense? So yeah, total it, it's, it's hard, bro. It's hard. My flesh doesn't want to get up early yeah. in the morning. Yeah, My I flesh, think, yeah, I think you hit the uh, nail on the head though when you talked about the difficulty of doing it. Our it, it, it isn't in our flesh to want to go and do it, but then you added in the misunderstanding of the sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was the thing that, uh, you know, in my conversations, I came up against that people would say, well, I, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. He's sovereign. And, you know, and try to help them understand that, no, he is absolutely sovereign, but he, he's got a different plan of what's going on. And one of your chapters, there's so many chapters I love, but uh, one of my favorite that I just totally agree with, and I, I thought you just did a great job of explaining this, uh, is chapter four, God is limited. You know, and obviously you, you share that and people go, he can't be limited, but they don't understand what it means. Can you share a little bit about that chapter? Yeah, well, even in the Old Testament, um, and David said that Israel limited the Holy One of Israel, limited him. So there is a precedent of where our behaviors, activities or inactivity can limit what God does on the on the earth. The only thing that's keeping back revival, keeping back in an awakening, is God's people from praying. Okay? And, and so the thing is that we have to understand our role in the kingdom of God and on the earth. Most everything that God does on the earth right now, he does through people. And if people are silent, people aren't praying, people aren't pursuing God, then God's work doesn't get done. And again, they use this sovereign word. Well, I don't believe in the sovereignty of God like most people do. I believe in the pure sense of sovereignty that God and the kingdom of God is self-ruling. Okay, he, he's a sovereign state, right? I don't think that he controls everything that I do, where I buy my gas, you know, you know, what kind of carpet I'm going to put in, you know, the church. I, I think he gives us the liberty to make those decisions. You know, if, if I do something detrimental to my body, I'm responsible for that, even though his spirit is leading me not to do it. OK, I know that I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but no, that's I think that's good what you're sharing. That helps a lot yeah. of people understand that you know, that this involves us. Well, he even said, he even said, you have not because you ask not. In other words, I'm wanting to give things to you and prayerlessness brings lack in my life. Prayerlessness brings lack into the church. Prayerlessness brings lack into our family. He says, you have not because you ask not. But here's here's what here's what I I believe. Okay, I believe according to Matthew chapter twelve that that when when we talk about the strong man, um, the strong man in the home is usually the man. Okay, and if I'm going to rob your house, I'm going to and you're there, I got to deal with you. And if I deal with you, then your wife is strong, but she's not as strong as you are. Then your children are strong, but they're not as strong as she is. And Jesus said that if you're going to take someone's spoils, the first thing that you do, you identify who the strong person is, and then you neutralize them. You bind that person up uh, and you, you render them uh, inactive. Okay, you just kind of tie them down. 
All right. And then you're able to go in, the Bible says, and take all the spoils, take all of the that man's possessions. Well, we as a church, Donald, I think we have misappropriated who the strong man is in the church. We've elevated preaching. Oh, that's a strong man. We got to preach the gospel. So we give 45 minutes to an hour to that preaching every Sunday. Okay. Oh, and then the next thing is worship. So the worship's next in line, and then winning the laws, making disciples, all those type of things. The devil walks into our church and he says, hmm, who's the strong man? What's the strong man of the church? Do you know that the devil does not even try to stop us from preaching the gospel? Mm -hmm. 400,000 sermons were preached just in churches alone this past Sunday. 400,000 worship teams, equivalent to maybe six or seven people per worship team. And, and if there's 400,000, that means that there were close to 3 million worshipers and worship leaders on Sunday. And not one time did he try to shut it down. But let me tell you what he identifies. The devil identifies the strong man of the church. We say it's preaching. We say it's worship. We say it's winning the loss. The devil goes, no, y'all can continue to do that all you want to. Go for it. Go for it. Preach it. Teach it. Worship. He walks into the church and he says, I know where the power lies. It's not in the preaching. It's not in the worship. But it's in the prayer ministry. Wow. So he goes for the prayer and intercessory ministry. He 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 gets the pastor to say, I'm too busy to pray. Our church already has a lot of activities. And so they kind of pray as they go, Lord, bless what we're doing. So we've given ourselves to the work of the ministry, but we've not given ourselves to the underlying secret place of where we receive the, you know, literally the fuel. We breathe upon the fire of God so that it enhances our preaching and teaching and worship. That's why, that's why, listen, if preaching could bring a revival to America, it would already happen. If worship could bring revival to America, it would have already happened. If street evangelism could bring revival to America, it would already happen. Tent meetings, all these things, and they're necessary. We must do them. Have to do them. But they're not the strong man. They're not the strong man. The we think they are. We we give billions of dollars toward those things every year. A lot of man hours. Right? How many hours does a pastor prepare for sermon? 10, 15, 20 hours for a 40-minute talk? How many hours do we spend in worship practice? Which we need to. Rehearsal. To make it look good. Sound good. And the devil goes, y'all keep doing that. Man, you know, um, I know we're running out of time, but I'll tell you, um, you know, first off, guys, I can't recommend enough. Pick up a copy unless we pray. It's available through their ministry. It's available on Amazon. In fact, it became an Amazon bestseller recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, for good reason, I just, I think it's touching a chord, but I, I want to refer to this, but you're going to have to get the book to read it because we're running out of time. I want you to share one other thing, but one of the stories I love that illustrates all of this, and it's one of my favorite is Father Nash or Daniel Nash and Charles Finney. And when you understand uh, how great Charles Finney was, and the, not only the conversions, but the number of people that stayed converted in his ministry was beyond Billy Graham. I mean, you know, you look at the statistics, and Charles Finney would talk about Father Nash, who would go secretly, come into town, uh, him and a couple of other guys, they'd come in there a couple of days early, weren't trying to draw any attention, but they became the intercessors 
that Charles Finney said, look, I'm just coming in announcing the work's being done by these people that are praying. And you go back and you look in history and you look at the Welsh revival, you look at these great moves and you find the same thing. So I love your illustration. I totally agree with it that um, that it is the strong man, that it is. And I've never thought in terms of the money and time that we spend on everything else, which is fine, but not at the expense of not having prayer. So uh, we got to get this book out and we've got to encourage pastors and we've got to help churches uh, learn how important prayer is. I, I agree with you totally. I want you to share, and, and we're going to put all this up at the end, but I love what you're doing uh, currently to get the book into jails and prisons and stuff. Would you share about that and just share where they can go? And of course, we'll put the link below before we close. Yeah, I I really feel strong that I'm supposed to put this in the hands of um, inmates around the country. In fact, I'm trying to get 10,000 books into prisons by the end of the year and 100,000 in the next 10 years. And here's the reason why. Every prisoner prays, every inmate prays. Lord, would somebody put money, you know, uh, on my books, you know, a commissary? Would, you know, can I get out early parole? Can I find favor with the judge? And they pray, they pray, they pray for survival. Those things are wonderful. But can you imagine, and we're seeing this already, can you imagine an inmate learning how to seek the face of God and going after God for nothing other than personal revival and literally prison revival, okay? It will shake the very foundation of their personal lives, but also every individual that's incarcerated in their particular facility. We're seeing already this happening in Oklahoma. We're seeing it in Kentucky. And I'm getting reports from prisons in Texas. These chaplains and these leaders are requesting this book. Unless we pray, they're putting it in the hands of these inmates. And, and watch it. They're reading it in one to two days. And then they're passing it from cell to cell to cell. And prayer meetings are breaking out in the wow. jails. So now when the chaplains or the pastors, local pastors come into to preach the gospel, guess what happens? I got coat chills all over me. People are getting saved easier. Yeah. There's not this resistance. And it's not jailhouse conversions. This is really authentic, genuine moves of God. Wouldn't it be just like God? Wouldn't it be just like God to send an awakening to America and let it begin in our, our, our facilities like that? Would it not be crazy? Because he can't get the church to pray. He can't get the church to pray. The church is not praying, right? Well, wow. I just but, got a picture. I just got a picture in my mind, and it was it's crazy, but it was like all of a sudden you've got these, these prisoners. They have to serve time, mm -hmm. and they're there for whatever amount of time. Imagine revival breaking out, but they pick up the mantles of becoming the Daniel Nashes, the Father Nashes, and they're actually impacting us, mm -hmm. family members and outside members. You know, it's kind of like we're we're so busy, you know, in a, in a good sense, let's go and visit them and pray for them. We need to continue doing that. But what if God flipped it and all of a sudden they're praying for us? Oh, my goodness. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to pray for their kids. Look at this right here. I know it's kind of weird. These are prisoners right now that are on their face, wow. seeking the face of God for revival. Look at this. Look at this. That fellow right there. This is happening in Kentucky. They've got they, they read the book and they're passing it around. 
Um, this is a group of prisoners in Texas. Look at them holding up the book unless we pray. So what I need is I need people to go to my website, kingdomready.tv, kingdomready.tv, and just place one book. Just say, I'll buy one book. It's $22. That includes shipping and handling. We're going to get it into someone's hands. You, we don't know yet, but we've got right now close to 2,000 requests from chaplains that they need these books. And, I, and, and so I just don't have the funding right now. I do not. I'm, I'm personally donating 1,000 of these books myself. So I don't have the, the resources myself to, to put 10,000 in. Um, but I believe that there are enough believers that will say, I'll do one. I'll do three. I'll do 10. I had a guy the other day say, I'm going to do 100. He just wrote, he just put it on his credit card, 2,200 bucks. Guess what's going to happen? Those books are going to go into a prison. And somebody's going to read this. And they're going to pass it. This one book will go into probably five to six to seven different hands. And imagine those guys coming together and pray. Violence is going to go down in prison. People are going to get truly converted. And when they get out on parole, they're not going to repeat again. This is a way we can change America from, from, from within those prison cells. So please help me. Go to, go to kingdomready.tv. You can go there and get just give one book. Or you can give three. You can give ten. Give a hundred, whatever, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. That's awesome. Well, guys, listen, uh, we're going to pray for Pastor Smith. And when we close out here and I can't encourage you enough. Uh, I'm I, look, I've, you know, I mean, and I'm talking about my own book here because I just so believe in what uh, he's written and what, how God is using this. And I just want to encourage you to uh, get behind this. Again, I really, really could see. I, I, I got a picture, Pastor, of God flipping it. So I'm going to pray. I usually have the guest pray, but I want to pray for you. I feel like we're supposed to pray for you and what you're doing. And thank you so much for being here today. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are speaking to us about prayer, that you are showing this incredible gift that you've given us, that Lord, it's not, it is about relationship with you, but it's more than that. It's about partnership with you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have used this book to change people's lives, to not only come to meet you, but Lord, to work with you, to partner with you and to be used by you. And so Lord, I'm asking that you would open up the windows of heaven over this book, and that there would be people, Lord, that you put it on their heart to do this, people that will just do one book and people that will do thousands, and that, Lord, that every inmate, every person that gets a hold of this book, I'm asking that it would so speak to them that it would create a synergy of prayer within these prisons and jails uh, and other places that it goes into. And so, Lord, I thank you for this gift. I thank you for this tool. I thank you for this. Lord, this book is like a missionary. And I'm asking that it would be sent into all of these dark places. Lord, we talked about prayer, pushing back the darkness. And I'm asking that you would use this to unite people, bring people, uh, just ignite faith and revival. And Lord, I, I just pray that it would lead to the greatest revival that we've ever seen. Lord, in prisons and in places, and that it would impact our world. We know it'll impact our world. And we thank you, Lord, for using this. And I just ask a blessing continue to be upon uh, Pastor Todd, Karen, their children, and so many that serve in this ministry. 
And I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Todd, thank you so much for being with me today. I, I could have gone on another 30 minutes. I've got to stop, but uh, I've enjoyed it so much. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Well, listen, it's been a joy to be with you. And just know, uh, let's do this again real, real, real soon. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've seen this broadcast today, I want you to share it with other people because the testimonies that were shared today uh, will encourage somebody that needs to hear these. And I just encourage you to go to the links we will put below, go to his website, pick up a copy of the book and help to get it out to other people. Thank you so much for being on uh, Living a Life Worth Remembering today. I encourage you on YouTube, you can select the uh, button to subscribe and also the alert when another broadcast will be coming up. And also on, uh, it's also on Spotify and on iTunes at Living a Life Worth Remembering. And uh, until we meet again, continue to live a life that lives on after your lifetime has ended. God bless.